All right, welcome back. This is a huge show. We're going to jump right into it. We got a special guest. Well, first off, Bennett's missing. Yeah, which makes it huge. It makes it Big huge. Big deal. Anytime Bennett's gone, that's always kind of a fun episode. No, I'm just kidding. I love Bennett. <laughs> He's in the library right now. Or is he at work? I usually assume MCAT at this MCAT, point. MCAT, yeah. The dude's yeah, going to be a doctor. He's going to be a great one. But since Bennett's not here... We got a special guest. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks. Our big NBA scouting report, um, breaking down the Duke team. We got our guy, Matt Van Liedekirk, Vandy, as we call him. Say what's up, Matt. How's it going, guys? Um, Been listening to your pod for a while now. Really happy to be on. Dude, we're so pumped to have you. All right, so before we jump into it, just want to tell you guys a little bit about, about Vandy. Uh, he lived in Steve and I's freshman year dorm, mm-hmm. ACOC. Shout out to ACOC. We got a little hand sign, but uh, you can't see it through the through the mic right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, Matt and I have been best friends ever since. Matt's a huge basketball guy. I think that's how we, we bonded. Uh, we both played on the club team freshman year, and we would just walk to the bus, walk to practice, walk back, and we just became boys, and we would watch watch basketball. There's nobody who loves basketball more than Matt Van Liedekirk. I know I said that no about question. my brother, but uh, Matt actually takes the takes the crown there. Sorry, John. I think you watch every single game every night. I try to. I try. To. I watch as much as I can. Um, mostly NBA. I so, don't get how you. Yeah. How, how do you have time to do that and do your schoolwork? Well, the, a key is actually I rewatch some of the NBA games the next day, which is a little, oh, okay. a little weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know who won, and like some people, you know, people don't usually do that. And are you are you looking for something when you're watching it, or you just want to watch to see what happens? That's a good question. Usually, I like to I like to pay attention to players that I'm particularly interested in. So, like. Say I'm watching like a Nuggets game, like mm-hmm. I'll be particularly interested in maybe the young guys like Jokic. I've been having a lot of a lot of fun watching. Um, Who? Nikola Jokic. Oh, on the Nuggets. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that yeah. dude's sick. Yeah. Oh, Jokic. Yeah. Jokic. Yeah, yeah. Is Jokic. he a unicorn? No, we don't have to get into that. <laughs> yeah. I don't right. know. It's, That's cool. It's funny having Matt back on because and thinking about freshman year because we went to so many games together as freshmen and uh, you know obviously. This podcast is a lot about how we all became line monitors, but when we were freshmen, before we were eligible to be line monitors, Matt was there with us for every big game. We watched uh, Duke Kansas game in uh, Matt's room. Yeah, Matt's room. That. that was one of our. That was one of my favorite memories from Great freshman memory. year. Even yeah. though we did lose that game, but it was, it was a fun time yeah. hanging out in there. We had, that was Jabari Parker versus Andrew Wiggins. It was a great game. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had uh, you know the Syracuse game, which we'll get into right now because uh, you know things happen and sometimes you know weird shots get put up and. Uh, that was an incredible day freshman year that we were all hanging out. We tented for Duke versus Michigan uh, for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Did we sleep out two nights together, you and me? I think we I think we did two nights. Two? I don't remember two. I don't. Maybe I blocked out. From, <laughs> that might have turned me off to tenting for the UNC. Game. You've never tented, maybe. right? I uh, never never slept in a tent for the UNC. No, I but did walk up wa- line. Done yeah. walk up line. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he was he was out there in the walk up line this year. We had a got a good time. I was a little stressed as I've as I've talked about. Matt was always finding me. He's make, he's good at making sure that I'm not too stressed. So it was good to have you out there in the walk up line. This I also, year. I think Steve, I have to apologize. I like to egg you on a little bit sometimes. So it's like de stressed <laughs> and like up stressed yeah. just to kind of maybe just like feel it out a little. It's bit. like a little yeah. ebb and flow because sometimes yeah. you like to push me to see if you can get like a little special treatment. I gotta, <laughs> I, gotta I gotta get get in the way there. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's something in my heart for you know making making the Steve's heart beat a little faster. <laughs> You and you and many more people on this campus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Matt is our club basketball coach this year. 
So yeah. watching the games has definitely paid off in that respect because he'll come in to practice and he'll have all these plays drawn up and he'll like we're running complex stuff at club basketball which we've never done before. It's usually just like we go play pickup and now we got a dude running subs which is big for us. I don't know. One thing like if I'm watching a game like I'll definitely like notice like the sets the teams are running mm-hmm. and um, try to at least implement some of that with the club team. So that's another reason, like, just always watching basketball. And how's that experience been? You like you're getting a taste of coaching? You want to go in on that? You know, I'm, I'm really um, interested in, like, the strategy side of the game. So, like, I think trying to outsmart other coaches with, like, sets that, um, you know, put defenses in difficult positions is, re- is really fun. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed, like, running the bench, dealing with, with people. Um, you know, the club team... It's mostly mostly not too difficult to yeah, uh, deal with the personalities. Yeah, yeah it's, a really good, it's a really good group of guys. So, um, yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Awesome, awesome. So before we jump into all the NBA stuff and break everything down, Duke basketball has not stopped since the Carolina game. I know that's like the culmination of everything. Oh, so we've had two games since our last pod. We've had Wake Forest, which was at home in Cameron, and we've played at Syracuse. Last night. Tough one. No, Tuesday night? Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. My birthday. Steve's birthday. We had a great party. Uh, we won't talk about it, but it was a great party, just so you guys know. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was a great party. Everybody saw it. Let's edit that out. Tweet at us. Crazy <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I mean, we. I guess we can talk about Syracuse first. Uh, I mean, it's kind of kind of sucks. Uh, we were... Uh, up with two possessions left, and it was tied, and we didn't convert to uh, to put it away, and they ended up throwing up a prayer um, as time expired and hitting it, this kind of crazy three. You see it's quintessential college basketball play, you know, one of those one in a million things, and, you know, it sucks, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not the end of the world. That's a hard environment to go into in the Carrier Dome. Tuesday night, middle of the week, you know, middle of the semester grind, midterms going on. Uh, I, I wasn't that worried. And they always show up to play, because that's a that at this point is becoming pretty good rivalry. Mm-hmm. The Bayheim K thing going on between the two all-time winningest coaches is a big deal. They always want to beat each other. Uh, I mean, obviously Bayheim's their coach, so even though they might not have the most talented team, they're always going to be ready to play against whoever, and they're never going to be intimidated. Um, but from a f- and I didn't get to watch the second half of the game because I was in class. I was following it on my computer. But as a fan, uh, I was super disappointed that they stormed the court. Yeah. This is like one of the most storied programs in college basketball and they storm the freaking court. What mm-hmm. is that about? Like that should not be a big deal that yeah. they beat us. Yeah, what was it in uh Coach K's speech to the the walk-up liners? He was like, "Remember we we never stormed the court." And I was yeah. a little I was a little surprised he even mentioned that because that's just obvious to me yeah. that you know, Duke we we win and we we expect to win, so we don't need to storm the court. So Syracuse, you would think they would feel the same, but I guess not. Yeah. Still, that's so strange that they. Yeah. And I, I, I was talking to my friend who goes to UVA. Apparently, they did that when they beat UVA earlier this season too. So yeah, I mean, as Syracuse, a, get your act together. As a fan, I, I was, I, I know I tried to play down expectations about the loss, but I was pretty heated about it, especially because my brother went to Georgetown. I'm a big Georgetown basketball fan, and Georgetown Syracuse, one of the biggest rivalries in college basketball up until kind of the, the um, you know, dissolving of of, of the old Big East, um, and so I was. I was upset, and when I saw the, the court storming, it's like, eh, you know what? Like, may, maybe maybe let them have this. Yeah, I don't that really comp- think they get you're it. Right. Like, I wasn't that angry about it when I saw that happen. I was like, all right, you guys got it. Yeah, I was well, trying to tweet at them from the Kville Nation Twitter, little jabs, but nobody responded. <laughs> I kind of wanted to get on Twitter beef, but 
I did that to MSU to Michigan State too. No response. Someday. Man. Well, one of these days, somebody's gonna respond yeah. to your tweets. I'm sure. What? How do you think the team is looking right now, Matt? Because like, even though we won six in a row, seven. had Syracuse, we had won seven in a row, and then lost to Syracuse, we got back into the top ten. Like we're looking good. Had been beaten bunch of ranked opponents but the, every single game has been close which is kind of frustrating but a lot of fun but do you think we're still getting better though I think the close games is something to watch because like point differential is a bigger predictor of future success than just winning the game mm-hmm. so if you're winning a lot of close games it's you know somewhat associated with luck but that said I think um the talent the Duke has um, should trump out any, um, you know, we were playing pretty poorly at the beginning of the season. I was just always betting on the talent showing, like shining through, and we've seen that recently. I think, you know, I think the Syracuse loss, close loss, I don't think it's something to be too worried about. I think we're definitely on an upward trajectory, and I think it's always good to bet on talent, and we are a really talented team. Yeah. Yeah, and the close margin's always going to worry you because we're heading into a single elimination yes. tournament, right? Yeah. Eventually uh, in, in March Madness. So, like, of course that's going to worry you, but I, I still go back to what Coach K said at that talk, which is that the two days before the Carolina game is the first day that everybody practiced together. That's unbelievable, right? I mean, if we're going to have a couple bumps in the road in this next month or so, that's fine. But every day it looks like it's just a little bit more there, a little bit more there. The talent's clicking. We're playing better team defense. We're moving the ball a little bit better. Um, and I, I still think that you know Syracuse is better than Wake Forest. So... Uh, a tough loss, but, uh, but I don't know. I, yeah. think, I think we're still on the up. But the thing I'm still worried about right now is, I, I mean, I love our team. I like our team a lot. Again, the talent thing. We all we have a great shot. But we're giving up 94 points to Wake Forest. What is that about? Like, why can't we figure out our defense? And we're long enough. We're athletic enough. We're playing in Cameron. Like, we have the crowd. Why, can't, why are we giving up that much? I know you're an offensive guy. But. No, it seems like at least – at times, the defensive intensity isn't quite there. And, you know, we haven't really seen that too much with Coach K teams. He usually, you know, is, you know, motivating his guys enough to play really hard on D. You have to go back to maybe uh, Jabari and Rodney Hood team for um, a squad that, you know, didn't put a ton of effort on the defensive end. But as you said, we have the length, we have the athletes to defend. I mean, it, and I know, like, I've... I beat on Matt a little bit, but he is really the one that is giving the defensive effort. Whereas guys like where I thought maybe have more defensive potential, Grayson haven't been, um, you know, putting in as much effort, which is you know disappointing. If Matt wasn't on the court, people would tear us up. It's also hard with uh, with Wake because we haven't played. I mean, Kennedy Meeks is a good big, big man, but I think John Collins on the offensive side of the ball for Wake is one of the more polished big men. Oh, he's in, good. In I like him a lot right now. Really great, and he goes for he goes for thirty. If he goes for, you know, 15 or, or you know, t- 10 like most other big men would in that position, that's a 75-point game instead of a 95 But I still don't like us giving up 75 points to Wake Forest, right? No, the, I mean, they shot well. They, they, they played really well from the, from the whole floor. But, like, I'm just trying to qualify it a bit. Yeah, I'm playing devil ad- devil's advocate. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think the defense can come with time. Like, it's not like we're lacking, like, ability it's something that is fixable. That so. happened in 2015 too, right? Like we turned it on in the tournament, and justice yeah. really t- like took over on the defensive end yeah. at times. And from an individual getting better perspective, Harry Giles has looked better and better and better every game coming back from a big injury. Marquise Bolden, when he first came back, like didn't even look like he knew how to run, and now he's 
grabbing balls out of people's hands, you know, a foot above the rim. I mean, the guy's playing really well. So we've we've just got to we just won't know. I mean, you got to bet on talent as, you, as we keep coming back to that that phrase, and I like it. But it's you, you just don't know. You're like that's the whole point. It's a bet. Yeah, that's why. I mean, that's what makes March Madness so fun. Um, that so much randomness can happen, and and that's really exciting. But it's like, I don't know. Harking back to, we have the athletes. We should be better on D, and I don't really know why. Like it, it's like, is it the effort? Yeah. Is but, it a K thing? Like I love coach, but yeah. I mean, we have just never seen a great defensive team that's, in our four years. That's weird. So, so it makes me think Duke this year is not should a, be the best. I mean, like, yeah. so like Matt, great defender. Incredible. Yeah. Grayson should be. He has the like the foot speed, the athleticism to be mm-hmm. a lockdown defender, and I think that's what he has to be in order to make it in the NBA. But with with him, do, ahead you, of ourselves. do you worry like <laughs> that maybe he's not playing lockdown D because he's worried about if he plays guys super physical, what ESPN is gonna say? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I hope <laughs> not. But like, I mean, you you can tell that, uh, it's you know, and we can have this conversation about the poor judgment of ESPN. Uh, but he sort of looks out there like when he's when somebody tries to get in his face or when you know the the pressure's on. You can tell that he thinks about it a little bit more. Um, maybe. 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 That's interesting. I actually thought that. you were going a different direction. That's a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> we need those. Something to look for, crazy times fans. All right, let's just let's just go into the our next segment then. What we're really here for is the NBA scouting report. Where do we expect these guys to fall in the draft? How good we expect them to be? All that jazz. So who you want, who do you want to start with? Well, we can start with and tell us first like about. So you're working on a project right now okay. that's kind of related to this. Tell us a little bit about that project and then how you're gonna predict if these dudes are gonna be good in the NBA. Okay, so, so what I'm working on right now um, isn't directly related to um, projecting college players at the NBA. Um, I'm actually working on a, a NBA player valuation metric, basically just trying to quantify. And you're a stats major. Yeah, I'm, I'm a stats major. Yeah. So I'm doing an independent <laughs> study, basically trying to quantify how much impact each individual player has. Um, and kind of in relation to that, there are a lot of ways to project how college performance um, predicts NBA performance and, and, you know, see how well a college player is going to be in the NBA. And that's really hard. So scouts, you know, do that by, um, you know, going watching a player, seeing, um, you know, from their experience how their skills will translate, um, how their athleticism will translate. But there's also, um, you know, various statistical methods to project how a player's stats will translate to the NBA. And I think some combination of both of those methods is – um, you know, ideal, and you got to take in as many factors as possible. And, I, and you know, these NBA teams, you think about, um, you know, Daryl Morey in Houston, and, you know, a lot of these teams are um, moving more and more towards the analytics as um, a part of the decision-making process. And it's definitely you got to incorporate what your, what your scouts say, what your stats guys say, um, and, you know, make a decision from there. So that's Dude. kind of, yeah. Dude, that's legit. <laughs> I'm again. I'm a history major. Steve's a pub Paul. Maybe we had been at life science. Well, we'd be able to ask more in depth yeah, questions. Matt's about, to, Matt's about to. I haven't asked you about this yet, but you're about to carry me through Stat 210. Uh, I'm taking regression analysis right now. <laughs> oh, that's so a great class. I, I need your help. I need your help. So after this, we're gonna talk. <laughs> Are you a uh, little LM function there? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Linear yeah. model. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, not line monitor. Not line monitor. All right, all right. That's that's dope. That's dope. All right. Um, so, who do you? What player you want to start with though? 
We can we can start with the top. Let's uh, start with the top. Who's the who's top. who's predicted going highest? So I mean the most I would say the most um, the most reputable draft source is definitely Draft Express. Um, I know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different you know draft big boards out there. Mm-hmm. I know Chad Ford has the ESPN one, but um, at least analyzing how um, these draft rankings had predicted um, how the order of the draft has gone, Draft Express always does the best, and you know honestly they're um, the best at predicting how good a player will be. So if you want to like have a more in-depth kind of analysis than we're going to do right here, definitely take a look at Draft Express. You know, Jesse Possible not. sponsor for a future episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> we, can t- we, can talk to- we can talk to our boy Mike. Our boy, our boy Mike. So right. this guy Mike Schmidt at Draft Express, he actually breaks down what a player's like strengths and weaknesses are of kind of how they project at the NBA level. And he, he puts out these awesome videos that basically he, sh- he tells you, he tells you um, kind of what their strength is and then shows it with the video with mm-hmm. a couple of clips. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. So if you want a good visualization of kind of why players are ranked where they are on Draft Express, that's a great way to do it. But basically, me and Je- Jesse and I were watching these videos and we were like, we're like these videos are awesome. Let's get in touch with this guy. So we send an email saying, like, thank you so much for doing these yeah. videos. We're really enjoying they, them. They just, the, the work that he puts into them is so evident. He yeah. deserves some, uh, some credit. Yeah. And then he responded. Yeah, he was, he was <laughs> excited that we reached. He was like, thank yeah. you so much, guys. Yeah. And he's in North Carolina right now, so we were thinking about hitting him up on Twitter. We should have so. got him on the pod. Oh, uh, we should have. Next one on the pod. <laughs> the pod. Sure. Then it's never coming we back. Should, we'll tweet at him right oh, after it's, this it's episode. <laughs> crazy crazy, crazy times back. becomes a Draft Express pod. <laughs> So, I guess this is a long-winded introduction yeah, <laughs> to Jason Tatum is currently ranked number five on Draft Express. Um, you know, he has been, you know, top five, maybe even top three before the season started. Mm-hmm. Um, he had that injury and, you know, kind of knocked him down before that. And if you think about Harry was also, before the season, possibly a top three, top five in this ranking, but he's mm-hmm. fallen a bit into the teens um, just because, I mean, first of all, he hasn't, he hasn't played that well. Yeah. Um, and it's tough to kind of say a guy's going to be durable, durable in the NBA and provide you with a lot of value if, um, you know. With all those knee problems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's really tough. And I'm not a doctor. And I don't know how these NBA teams are going to take that into account. But uh, you definitely so needed Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Keep going. But I guess to explain, like, Giles was rated higher as a high school prospect, too. Wasn't he number one? He was and, number one, yeah. Yeah. So. That's why that's why Tatum is now higher than Giles is kind of the injury issues, mm-hmm. um, which is really sad. And I, I don't know, even watching him a little this year, you kind of see Giles not quite have the athleticism that you can kind of see in like any scouting videos or any videos of him playing for Team USA. His mixtapes, yeah, yeah. Insane. I mean, and it's hard, right? Because that's, I mean, it's two it's two ACL tears. You're not going to be back immediately. But yeah. At the same time, if you're an NBA team, it's like. Like big guys have bad knees, and like you have to take that into consideration. So. Yeah. And do we expect? We'll get back to Tatum in a second. But yeah. for Giles, do we expect him to leave then, still, regardless, and go in those teens when he was so hyped up coming into college, or could he come back, dominate next year, and then leave and try to get back to that lottery pick? That's a really interesting decision. Um, usually, I always would say a player should leave yeah. and just. You know, take the money. Take, I mean, like, a, a player, even drafted in the teens, you're going to be making $1, $2 million a rookie year, and you're just getting an extra year of earning power. Um, but I would say the, the trade-off is more um, nuanced here because, like, this is thought to be a strong draft. 
So if he thinks he can go back, rebuild his value, be maybe a top 10, top five pick next year, that might actually be the best financial decision, which is interesting. And like, it might not be. It might be. It, oh, might, it be. might be. Yeah, because if he, if, if this is considered a strong draft, which I, I think it is. Definitely, yeah. Oh my um, God. Then if he just, by putting himself in next year's draft, he would already be higher. And because like these top five picks, you make significantly more in your rookie year mm-hmm. than you would make as the number 19 pick, which is what he's currently ranked. Um, yeah. It might actually be the best decision for him to do that. So, I mean, it's, that's actually really interesting. I, I, I'm sure that um, this will be talked about a lot more leading up to when they have to declare. Yeah, and we'll see how he does in the tournament and stuff. I think it'd be interesting if he did come back, just because for our four years, we've had a dominant one and done every single year, starting with Jabari Parker, and they always leave. So what could a recruit like that do in his second year Yeah, as would be really interesting. Because like Grayson was not a one and done, and his sophomore year was an All-American mm-hmm. and dominated. Yeah. So like, what could a guy with that talent do would be really interesting to see. Yeah, especially if he could fully recover from the injuries. I think he, he, yeah. he could dominate. Really. I hope he does. I really hope he does. That, yeah. And if he, do, and if he leaves, though, what are we expecting from Harry in the league? So... The, it's kind of contingent on the knees, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess it's – this is an optimistic maybe assumption, but let's say he returns re- to relative what he was before the knee injuries, like athletic, um, energy big. The problem with, with Giles and the reason I think that in addition to the injuries he's kind of fallen a bit in draft models is the NBA has trended – smaller and quicker and more skilled Mm -hmm. and that's kind of seen itself a lot at the power forward position where if you can't shoot the three and pass a little bit and dribble a little bit you're not going to really be a great four like that those players just don't really exist that much anymore Mm -hmm. um and that was kind of what harry projected as like i know he has like I've seen he has a, a decent stroke, but it's not refined, and like his skills yeah. and the perimeter are not refined. He's he's definitely an inside player, and like maybe five, ten years ago, that that works well as a power forward. Like um, that that's definitely like a player that was successful. But as the NBA has trended smaller, he might have to be kind of a, a small a small-ish center. He's six eleven, so he's a big guy, but a, a smallish, more energy center. Mm-hmm. Versus maybe being a power forward, um, you know, in the years past. Is there a chance he can develop those skills though? See, I think there, I think there is, and that's because in his high school mixtape, he's like doing step back threes and like yeah. dribbling up the court coast to coast. That's that's kind of the question, right? Is like if he develops those skills, then he can you know play with another big man, be like you know a successful four in the NBA, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. where maybe. Um, if he demonstrates he has those skills, he will rise up in the in the in the yeah. boards. Then he's Chris Webber with the step back three, and we're talking about an incredible <laughs> NBA player, yeah. right? So I'm curious more about Jason because uh, people have been talking NBA comparisons, Chris Webber, and a lot of those classic power forwards in the early 2000s for Harry. But who do you think Jason compares to really well in the league, given his size and all of his abilities? Mm, that's a really good question, um, and it's I comparisons. I struggle with comparisons because you don't want to set uh, an expectation mm-hmm. that you know a player is going to be a certain type. That's fair. Um, but I would say, body wise, he looks a little bit like Paul George out there, like long. Yeah. Um, he's got a little, you know, dribble skills. Um, Not can as penetrate. athletic. 
No, he is, does not have no, the athleticism yeah. Paul George does. And I would say, I mean, it took a while for, for PG to develop these skills, but PG is like an elite ball handler in the pick and roll and, you know, all, doing all that stuff. And has it just has a little bit more shake than Tatum does. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as, you know, Tatum operating in a little bit in the high post and in ISOs, you see some of the skills there where he's definitely, um, you know, going to be able to create his own shot in the NBA. And, um, you know, he kind of has the the individual scoring ability that and, – and, and, you know, I guess the body size that looks a little bit like PG. Yeah. And I will say I'm not going to disclose too much information, but I got sources that uh, Jason was in a situation – before the season started where he was scrimmaging against NBA players currently in the NBA. And my source told me he was killing them, getting so many buckets on them, like tearing these dudes up already in the NBA, NBA defenders. And so like that makes me excited. And he looked before the, before the injury, before the season, were you at countdown? No, I wasn't. No? Well, no. he was he was just <laughs> dominating. And, like, every shot he put up looked like it was going in. And since he's come back, like, he it took a while to adjust. Like, that was expected. And now he's been killing it. But, like, he has struggled at times with his three-point shot. Yeah. And also something I've noticed is, uh, like, in transition, he never seems to finish. But yeah. does that mean anything? Those are just, like, what I've noticed of critiques. Uh, but, again, he's going number five in one of the uh, strongest class classes yeah. in a while. So. Yeah. Um, I definitely think in terms of the elite uh, athleticism guys, he's not there. He's yeah. an average athlete. So I think he, he could have more trouble finishing, as you mentioned, than some of these other guys just because he's not the elite athlete. And, you know, that like in the NBA, everyone is such a good athlete mm-hmm. um, that um, if, if you're not like Andrew Wiggins type then you're just average, even though he is, you know, he's a super athletic guy, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but um, it's just comparison, p- comparing him to the best. Yeah. Um, I guess, the, I mean, the other, you know, talk about little critiques on Tatum. Um, you know, working him into the Duke system, like he's having to, you know, in high school, he just ISO, has the ball the whole time, gets to hold the ball. And in college, you know, he's on Duke with a lot of good offensive players. He's got to move the ball a little bit, and you can't just hold the ball – and wait, because that lets the defense set up and guard any of your actions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being a little better at um, moving the ball on offense. Um, and then th- another thing, and actually this is a this is a positive thing, and that the NBA, uh, there's a lot more spacing, right? So the court is yeah. a little bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, pl- a lot, like the shooters are better. Um, so that I think that is, well, he will stand to benefit a bunch from there just being more room on the yeah. court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... There's a couple positives and negatives, but... But number five. Yes. We have, like, four guys, possibly five, that are could go. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's definitely He gone. should, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. And what are you... So, are you expecting good things, bad things? Quick little summary. I expect him... He's a, you know, professional scorer. He's yeah. going to He's gonna score the ball, and I don't think he's going to have too much trouble doing that. The... The thing where it'll kind of decide if, you know, he becomes maybe an average starter or, you know, above average starter, an all-star, is if he can develop the other parts of his his game. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to predict. Like, will he become an average NBA defender? Will he 
um, you know, learn to pass the ball like some of these really good all-stars, you know, even at the forward position can pass. Like Gordon Hayward, Paul George, as we mentioned, like all these guys can pass really well. And yeah. that's something that comes with time. But it's hard to predict which players will get that and which players won't. Interesting. Interesting. All right. I think we've exhausted that. Let's move on to you want to do Luke or Grayson first. Those are both two wild cards. Yeah. We got to talk Luke. Yeah. Let's well, go Luke first. Luke. Luke Luke came on the scene this year. People weren't expecting him to do anything. And then he comes out, drops 30 multiple times, is our go-to scorer, um, leads the team in scoring, has made a bunch of big shots on this team that is loaded. So he's moved up his stock a lot. But he's still, what's he looking like right now, predicted? He's in the mid to late 20s right now. So first round. Express. First round. Draft Express originally... They, they they do a mock draft for this this upcoming draft and the next one. So they do 2017 and 2018 right now. And before Luke really came on the scene, they had him not coming out this year. They had him actually expecting to come out in 2018 and being mm. picked in the 20s and 30s. After his junior year. Yeah, yeah. They thought he would come back for another year. But since then, they've kind of updated their, you know, expectation that he's going to come out this year because he's played so well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just honestly one one big jump right there. And I think the reasoning with why you can see Luke being an exceptional NBA player is just how much he can score, like yeah. you guys have seen this year. The, the top scorer in Ohio's high school basketball history. More than LeBron. More than LeBron. Yeah. He took LeBron's record. Uh, but the interesting thing with him, right, is that could can he increase his stock next year or That's can he lose it next year, right? Like... Because he's not an elite athlete yeah. by any means. He's just a scorer. Yeah. And he's a great passer, too. Like He just makes plays. He, he makes smart plays. And everything comes easy to him. But what would be what would make him come back? Ugh. So this might be a case where a guy comes back and the hype wears off a little and he gets picked apart more. So I don't know if you guys – this is a completely different example. Just come off like, the top of my like, head. Like scouts pick him apart more? Yeah, yeah. So then he, you, you, you fall down on the draft boards because there's mm. just less excitement. And um, there's more video on you, and you can kind of zone in on your weaknesses more. Yeah. And, um, I mean, obviously it's a tough decision, and there's – What was your example? Well, my, what I was thinking of is like a guy like, um, like James Michael McAdoo. Mm. So it's, it's a completely different player than Kennard, mm-hmm. but – there was a lot of hype his freshman year. He played, like, sparingly and then kind of came on a little bit and played well. And he's super super athletic and, like, he was ranked, like, top 10, top 15 in draft boards. He came back for his sophomore year, you know, didn't show any, um, you know, increase in polish, mm-hmm. increase in skills, came back for a junior year, and then went undrafted. So this kind of, like, example where... For a Duke, Duke example, Rashid Suleiman. Yeah, I could have left his freshman year, been a first round pick, possibly Perfect lottery example. pick, and then lost it. Yeah, well, I think yeah. I think the, the the thing that's a little that's different a here is example. that Luke Luke is a uh, in in a team right now that's very cluttered. So if you were to come back next year uh, and really be the quarter the the un the unequivocal quarterback of that team next year that has uh, a little bit fewer personalities, a little bit fewer NBA hype. Then you're an unquestioned National Player of the Year candidate. Instead of going for 23 a game, you're going for 27 a game, like J.J. Redick numbers. And so that'd maybe there's something there. Yeah, that'd be sick. But that's, I mean, that's a lot of pressure, right? And yeah. is that, and do you come back just for that opportunity if it only means you go from 27 to 24, yeah. right? So that's the question. I mean, we saw, I mean, we saw Grayson make a decision where he had a lot of hype 
coming into the draft last year, and he mm-hmm. was probably going to be picked maybe 20 to 30, and he's come back and had a slightly disappointing year, and now he's in the 30s for this year's draft, which, be that as you will, he wanted to come back and play for Coach K and be on this amazing team, but he probably cost himself some dollars. Which okay, so let's talk about Grayson then. So what what is his decision looking like then? You just said he's in the 30s. Is it better for him to come back, have a senior year, close it out? Possibly. Uh, and, and would that hurt him, though? Because, like, the age thing seems so big now nowadays. Yeah, well, so the thing about the age is, so the way um, – or if you look at how um, college players have translated to the NBA in the past, what is really predictive of NBA performance and what is more predictive is how well you've played – relatively early on in your college career versus later because later on in your college career you have an experience advantage you have an age advantage of being just bigger and more mature than the other, these other guys so which is like Emil Jefferson this year yeah. dominating so these little kids. if you want to yeah. predict how this player would play just thrown into the NBA you got to put more weight on how they've played when they were thrown into the college game mm-hmm. um, and I know yes a lot of draft models way earlier seasons in a college career more heavily than later ones. And I think a little example of that is Buddy Heald, right? Yeah. So he, his freshman and sophomore year in college, he really he wasn't a good player. Yeah. Junior year, he started playing a little better. He started considering maybe being a second-round pick. Then senior year, he busts out and is the National Player of the Year candidate mm-hmm. and you know scores, whatever, 28 points a game. And well, he's 23. Yeah. So he comes out and... Which is not old. <laughs> <laughs> so Buddy Heald as a 22-year-old senior, is dominating, you know, his opponents who are, you know, largely 19, 20-year-olds, maybe some 21, 22-year-olds who, you know, aren't as talented as him. That's the reason they're still there. Yep. Um, and so after this huge college performance, you know, dominates the NCAA, he comes in and, you know, he's one of the worst players in the NBA this season, according to... Not according oh. to Vivek. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Curry. Let's go Kings. Say, Steph who, Curry. say who Vivek is real quick, uh, Vivek's the owner of the uh, Sacramento Kings. Well, yeah, Vivek came out, or at least reports say that one of the driving factors in DeMarcus Cousins' trade getting done was Vivek thinks Buddy Heald might be the next Steph Curry, which... Um, is ridiculous. Right? Laughable. <laughs> yeah, I, like, really. I like Buddy Heald, though. Kansas game last serious. year was the best college yeah. game I've seen yeah. in my life. That's yeah, true. Well, so you can see how maybe an untrained mind could think, oh, this guy dominated college. He, oh, he was so good. Yeah. He's going to be the Steph Curry. But an untrained mind like Vivek. Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> but I I'm guess you, this, is a lo- this is a long-winded example that, um, I mean, we'll see how Buddy's NBA career plays out. But yeah. it doesn't look that promising so far. And what we see is, He's playing more like he did when he was a freshman in Oklahoma than when he was a senior. So that's that's one of the things. So, but how does that work for Grayson? Just to he remind me, we're talking so, about Grayson because he play he didn't play that much freshman year, but his sophomore year, which is his first year of playing, yeah, he was really good. Yeah. yeah. So I think there are some strong indicators that Grayson can succeed in the NBA. Okay. If he stays for a senior year, it's not a buddy situation where he's staying and he's gonna like dramatically increase his production. We know Grayson's yeah. good. The the thing that he's losing, I guess, is kind of like the shine and like the the maybe expectation that he's going to grow a lot because he's already done a lot of his, his yeah. growing because he's yeah. already 22. With, with Grayson as a senior, it'll be more about leadership and intangibles and whether he's made that kind of a jump yeah. uh, personally than, than – uh, like And also all, skill all development. Yeah, so and the, the, the skill development too. that should come as an NBA player, like 
if he comes back for a senior year, you might expect more, you know, passing skills, like operating in the pick and roll, stuff like that, better than what he's done in the past. But um, I think we've seen that he can be a productive player. I know you're all about skills, but what Steve just said for me, the untrained mind, uh, kind of resonates. What are people going to think about him, though, as a person? Like, does that, would that deter teams from drafting him, that he's on the bench throwing temper tantrums, <laughs> tripping people? Um, it definitely has to cross teams' minds, but the overriding factor will be when they meet with him in, um, you know, when they, when they bring him in for draft workouts and at the combine. That's when you kind of figure out what kind of a person they are. And so they won't judge him too much based off what's going on right now. I I hope not. Um, and it's it's a little it's a little concerning about his maturity that he is throwing attention on the bench. But yeah. I think that will be you know overridden by you know if he has a great interview. Yeah, basically. Exactly. But again, that's what Steve said is still relevant too because mm-hmm. him just as a person, as a college kid, like if he comes back, is this great leader takes a team to another national championship, he's greatest, one of the greatest Duke players of all time. Yeah. So, I mean, that alone, wanting that kind of legend that can be aura pretty cool. around your name, like, that might drive him to come back, too. Possibly. And he loves Duke. Like, he has a great time. He's yeah. a cool dude. I can see Grayson coming back, especially given that there's not the, the pressure of him maybe being, like, a top 15 pick this year. He, he's, yeah. just, he's just probably not going to be. So, he's just pl- so he can just yeah. play. Yeah. And we yeah. know he can play. I kind of want him to come back. I, I want to I see the legend. Talking to you guys, go. I think it's more possible. I think it's possible that some of these guys could come back. It, it, as much as ooh, Steve, as much as well. yeah, <laughs> as much as it, it's possible things. that Tatum, Giles, Grayson, and uh, Luke all leave, it's also possible that two or three of them stay. So yeah. three, one or two. I mean, that'd be Jay, great if three stayed. If three ooh. stayed. Wow. Well, I, I, I wasn't even considering that that uh, Harry Giles would stay, but it's possible. It's you, possible. You, you kind of like you brought that up to my mind. I hadn't really thought about it that much, but I'm cons- not. I'm not exactly sure how it would work with the recruits we have coming in next year. Yeah. So you got Wendell Carter, who's a different player, but also a power forward. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and I mean, and Gary Trent's a two guard, so it's two more two guards, but he's not going to take Luke and Grayson's minutes. No. Like, Coach, K, Coach K might be hoping maybe one of them, maybe one of them yeah. goes just to like keep everyone happy. Like that's kind of one of the things that's gone on with this team is like, like Chase hasn't even gotten to play. Like we have Javin Frank. Ha- Javin Frank Gore. has had to sacrifice minutes since we, everybody came back. Javin uh, hasn't played. We have we have three guys: Harry, Emil, and um, and Marquise that are all kind of centers. They can play maybe a, a little, nah, a little four, college. but so it's just kind of getting crowded, especially in the front court. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the, and the transfer and pushing people out is a real issue because someone we just got to give a quick shout out to we don't really, really talk about him is uh, Shemi Ojale. He left because there wasn't enough space, and now he's looking like a pretty good draft prospect, right? Yeah. Well, Jesse, you you took a look at his highlights a little yeah. more than I did, but I just was I was looking on the Draft Express, um, you know, preparing for this pod, and I just saw Shemi on there at like number forty, number forty three. And this is a guy who was a freshman when I was a freshman at Duke, and all three of us were freshmen. Yeah, yeah. And actually, our, our executive producer Tyler Timmons just walked in. Tyler, Tyler say what's up. You're, hey, what's up, everybody? You're pretty good friends with them too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You and Shemmy. You and Emil are closer friends, though. Yeah, it's true. We're both from Philadelphia. Boys, absolutely. Yeah. Philadelphia kids. All right, no, but before we go, just uh, Steve and I have already talked about this, but who's your favorite Duke player in the NBA? 
Yeah, put me on the spot. I, we talked about this a little, but I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go. My favorite player from Duke in the NBA right now to watch is Rodney Hood. Okay. Um, and you guys were thinking Jabari, and rest in peace, Jabari's knees. But um, Jabari we're is praying for you. Jabari. Jabari is a joy to watch, but watching Rodney Hood become uh, facilitating, um, you know, offensive force. And scorer for the Jazz has been super cool. Um, the way the Jazz run their offense, I'm a big Jazz fan, but um, <laughs> the way most NBA guys like you are, <laughs> the Jazz kind of run their offense where the two wings, Hood and Gordon Hayward, are operating a lot in the pick and roll and doing a lot of the creation, and it's it's a really fun to watch. And uh, just kind of watching all the ways that Hood creates shots for himself and others uh, is really cool. I also felt like with Rodney. Like when that you had that year with Jabari when we were freshmen, Rodney kind of felt like the dirty little secret. Like, cause he was he was balling. He still like, feels like the dirty. He's little like secret, he, yeah. he was so good on that team, and everyone was talking about Jabari. And you're like, if you go to those games, you're like, there's this other guy who's really really good, yeah. and like nobody really gave him the same kind of talk. And so it's fun to see him develop into an NBA pro. I was a little worried about his defense because at Duke he didn't he did not play, play it. He didn't play <laughs> it. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. I would agree. Uh, cool. I love it. And uh, anybody got a knock knock joke? Jack just came in the room too. What's up, Jack? <laughs> nah, dude. Nope. All right, let's get out of here. Any last words, Matt, for the fans? Thank y'all so much for having me, dude. Thanks and, for coming and, uh, on. This is great. We yo, educated the people. Let's let's plug Matt's thing a little bit. Tautonomy, his website. Oh, always yeah. always writing on there. Great website. Great uh, great original content. So check it out. Yeah, he he breaks down every draft or every NBA trade, uh, every big move. I wouldn't say everyone, but the oh, ones yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, please everyone that I see. Tautonomy, the ones that pique my interest.